Welcome to the second season of Think Arctic, a podcast powered by GCI that takes a look at the issues facing the Arctic and its stakeholders. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Holly Noland. In this episode, we speak with Michael Black, Program Development Director for the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium, about bringing plumbing many of us take for granted to remote villages. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Why don't you start by telling me a little bit about your role and what you're working on at ANTHC? Well, um, I am the director for infrastructure development at uh, ANTHC's Division of Environmental Health and Engineering, and we are working on uh, primarily water and sewer issues in rural Alaska. Um, We build water and sewer systems. Uh, We also help operate some of those systems and are responsible for helping the communities maintain many of the systems out there. And to give people kind of a sense of um, how many communities are are without these services or maybe they're they're newer, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, Yes. uh, There are some differing numbers, but it's generally considered to be 30 two to 35 communities in rural Alaska without water and sewer in the sense of there's no service to those households there. They rely upon something that's called the honey bucket and uh, that is a way of dealing with human waste but at the same time they don't have piped water to those houses either. Um, So we consider over 3,000 households without water and sewer. And, and is that thousands of people, hundreds? How, how, give us a sense of that. That's thousands of people. Um, and the numbers are estimated, but um, it's certainly above 5,000 and more like 10,000 probably. Uh, people without uh, household piping for water or sewer. And is that because it's just so challenging to build these types of systems in rural Alaska? That's part of it. It's certainly the the communities that are unserved uh, represent an engineering challenge. Um, they're located in um, in difficult areas to serve, um, high cost environments, many times with severe climate issues, um, and they are primarily in western Alaska and interior Alaska in the north. Uh, Some of them are so small that it's very difficult to think of a a traditional approach to serving those uh, households through the sense of uh, piped water and sewer anyway. Uh, Because of their extremely small uh, numbers of households, it it would make it more expensive for them to operate those types of systems. but many of them are just extremely challenged from the standpoint of weather, economics, uh, size, and so forth. How long does it take you to construct uh, this a system in a, in a rural community? That depends quite a bit on, on the nature of the system, but it certainly can at least take five years from the time we break ground to the time we finish. Um, and of course, there's a period of probably equal length from the time we start designing a system and can get the funding 
in order to, um, to actually start the project itself. Uh, so we have a long lead time um, where we are seeking funds um, and where we're attempting to line up all the permitting and so forth that's necessary before we ever touch um, any of the systems in, on that, in that community. Uh, but once we start construction, it takes a long time as well. So it's quite a lead time. Wow. And once the systems are in place, how do you maintain those systems? The maintenance for most of the systems becomes the responsibility of the communities. Um, and we have a dedicated group of engineers and operation and maintenance specialists who are assisting the communities. There is also a program uh, with the state of Alaska that helps the communities maintain them and provide advice and assistance. But most of the responsibility ends up on the community's uh, staff, um, their operator, with assistance from ANTHC as well as the state of Alaska. Okay. And what about, you know, you were talking to me a little bit about the remote monitoring capabilities. Can you talk about that? Yes. That is a, um, we have a program that takes responsibility for helping the communities at a greater level, and that's called the Alaska Rural Utility Collaborative. It has uh, 27 communities. Our um, staff, our, our engineers, and our operation and maintenance specialists, as well as our billing uh, specialists, uh, sign a contract with the community to help them with the maintenance. And in that case, we are monitoring those systems to avoid any cat catastrophe or catastrophic failure of the system. We use remote monitoring to do that. Um, we do that by putting devices in the plant and in the, on the system that can measure flow rates, temperatures, um, whether power is being provided to a component that's needed. Uh, there are lots of things to be measured, but we try to pick out the most critical pieces of those systems. And in doing that, we are able to monitor the performance of the system from afar. In many cases, we would be doing a reading um, the temperatures and flow rates in Kotzebue, for example. Uh, and if we dis discovered that a system was having difficulties, we would dispatch someone from Kotzebue or even from Anchorage uh, to go out and try to help these uh, communities. Again, these are... 27 communities that we work with directly and uh, it, it's sort of a way of us understanding how to best help all the other communities since since we are really operating or helping operate most of those 27 communities systems <clears throat> we use remote monitoring in a, in a way to try to avoid excessive cost and in that way we rely upon instrumentation in the plant that um, uses radio technology to transmit signals to a router. And then the router itself relies upon uh, the cell phone network in the state, the GCI system, for example. And it, it puts that data through the router to the cell phone into a remote location in either Kotzebue, 
Bethel uh, gnome somewhere where we can rely uh, on someone there to respond to it. Okay. Now, I, I know there's the clearly the, the cost savings of being able to have those remote monitoring capabilities, but it, it, it may seem like common sense to some people, but how much of, a, uh, an, of an impact can that have on the community? Well, we've demonstrated through this, if you will, demonstration of uh, our experiment with the 27 communities that we're working with, that it can save a lot of money because we can dispatch someone before it becomes catastrophic, before the entire system, for example, freezes up or before we lose all of our water tank um, volume. Um, so we, it can immediately impact the economics of uh, the systems by avoiding catastrophic failures and then it also obviously avoids a disruption to the service to the households themselves. And if we didn't have that um, technique of trying to monitor and then respond, we would lose entire systems. And those are costing tens, 15, 20 million dollars each. And if they freeze up, it costs, even though you don't have to replace the entire system, you, you do a, a lot of replacement of parts and you have a lot of labor involved. So it would cost the households themselves thousands of dollars to respond in that way or the agencies that are helping them. Um, there's a, a extreme cost, not only financially, but also from the standpoint of the health of the community. If, for example, uh, a few years ago, Kotlik lost its uh, water and sewer service because of flooding. And in that case, it took a year to get it back online. So that's a year in which households would have to rely upon honey buckets. And there is a human cost to that as well as a financial. Um, that's what we're trying to avoid with the remote monitoring approach of avoiding catastrophic failures. And what are they doing for water? Well, if they lose the system, they have to gather water from traditional sources, which is typically water, water from the river or from a lake. Um, or they may have to haul water from a water plant because they've lost the transmission to the house itself. Each, any one of those alternatives is an undesirable one in the sense that it requires a lot of labor. And it often results in people collecting water from unsafe sources. And that indeed has a uh, human cost in the sense of medical issues that result from that. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to add that we haven't talked about that you think is important? Well, I just, I just am happy to see that we have got a technology now with, with your um, microwave cell phone service that allows us to put some modern approaches to these uh, persistent problems of for remote communities in which you don't have a road service and you very seldom have an ability to respond quickly and get out and solve a problem. So this allows us enough uh, warning, enough, um, uh, if you will, uh, 
a, an understanding that we're having an issue as it starts to develop through this remote monitoring. Uh, and that's only possible through the cell phone service for us. Um, and it's saved the state of Alaska and the federal government millions of dollars. It saved the communities um, lots of hours of labor and, and uh, it would be a, avoiding a lot of despair, if you will, in the households themselves, as well as the health issues. So we're happy to, to partner with GCI on that. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of Think Arctic. You can find our regular podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spreaker. And if you enjoy what you hear, please like, review, and share our podcast. Until next time.